Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Dobiak. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and some of the things that makes it go up and down. We look at legislation that impacts your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity section, we look at different financial planning topics to try to help you understand some more of the details around them. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you have a question that you would like for me to answer on the air, go to PeggyDoviak.com or AskPeggy.com, and AskPeggy.com is much easier to spell. That's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and at the bottom of the page, you'll see a place where you can type in your question, and then I'll be in contact with you, and we'll try to get it answered on the air. So let's get started today with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update. This is for the week ending June 14th, 2019. And overall, it was a pretty flat week in the market, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average going up a little less than half a percent, along with the S&P 500, which also went up a little less than half a percent. The NASDAQ went up 0.7%, and gold was almost flat for the week, up 0.02%. Oil has been struggling a little bit with some of the Middle Eastern crisis, with Iran, with the um, ship that got attacked last week. It's down 2.81%. And then the 10-year Treasury yield is now at 2.08%. It was down another 5% this week. So, Really looking forward to the week to come, this um, today is June 17th, and so we're really looking towards the Fed meeting that's going to happen on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. And one of the weird things that's going on in the market right now is that good economic news is making the market go down. And it's making the market go down because as economic data comes in positive or as expected, it lowers the chance that the Fed will actually lower interest rates at the end of its meeting on Wednesday. So in this meeting, they're going to be doing an economic forecast. They're going to talk about whether or not they think rates should increase Remember that there was a huge pricing in of a rate um, decrease, so dropping interest rates, a couple of weeks ago when the unemployment numbers, which are still fabulous, but came in a little soft, and there's huge desire on the part of the markets to see a rate decrease. Why? Because when rates go down, it's cheaper to borrow money. The problem with the Fed accommodating this off of some slightly questionable economic data is 
the easiest way that they can control a truly bad situation in the stock market is by cutting rates because they can have an emergency meeting, they can vote to cut the rates, it happens pretty quickly, sort of all at once, and it will help boost the stock market if something goes really wrong. Or if we were to go into the recession in 2020 that so many economists are anticipating, a rate cut at that time could help pull us out of the recession. But right now, for really no good economic reason, um, the White House and much of Congress and certainly the business industry has just randomly decided that the Fed should cut rates. I don't think they're going to. Now, you don't hear me go out on a limb very often and give you what my opinion is, and I certainly would, would never do that with a stock or a bond. But when I'm looking at all of the economic data and everything going into what the Fed's decision should be this week, I would argue that they should not lower interest rates this week. There's just no good compelling reason to do it. Now, there's no guarantee I'm right. I mean, they may lower rates simply for political expediency, but honestly, that's, in my opinion, what it's going to be. So what happens when they don't lower rates? Well, if this works like I'm expecting it to, that means the market is going to get really angry, either on Wednesday or possibly Thursday. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of really down days out of this because we had that huge boost in the market on anticipation of this happening. And the market really hasn't given that back. It's pretty flat today. It's about 10 o'clock Central Standard Time, and it's still pretty flat today. Market's just kind of holding out hope that this is what's going to happen. When it doesn't happen, I expect the market to react badly. If the Fed indicates a one and done, so they're going to cut it a quarter percent and then they're finished, I think the market might go down then too because the market for some reason has decided that the Fed's going to be back into this accommodating economics um, policy and I just don't see it. So it'll be really interesting to watch if the market has a very bad day. I really don't think it would be long term, but I'd be surprised if the market takes the news well if they don't get what they want. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And this week, I want to talk a little bit more about Regulation BI, standing for Best Interest, that came down from the SEC a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it a lot in my show last week, and if you missed the show, it is available as a podcast on iTunes and CastBox, and the podcast is called Ask Peggy Doviak About Your Finances, so it's really easy to find. Um, basically, there is a good chance that there will be a number of lawsuits around Reg BI that will be issued from consumer groups who are really, really upset that the SEC basically created a new standard of care called best interest that isn't a fiduciary standard but also isn't suitability and then failed to define what that was and gave people in financial services the ability to um, 
just disclose away issues rather than actually mitigating them. So you probably have heard of the robo-investing. You know, there's a lot of computer programs out there designed to help you put together a portfolio. Well, the CEO of Betterment, that's one of the larger robo-advisors, his name is John Stein. He's really upset about it. And it's interesting because, you know, if, if people get kind of turned off of the financial services industry, one concern that some of us have is that they will go to robo-advisors. And there's nothing wrong with robo-advising per se. It does tend to not help people as much when the markets get really weird and they need somebody to talk to. But even the CEO of Betterment doesn't like it. And the quote here is, unfortunately, this misleadingly titled rule may best serve the marketing interests of large financial corporations to the detriment of individual investors. It is a gift of sheep's clothing to the wolves of Wall Street. And that's a really disturbing statement. That, again, came from the CEO of Betterment, John Stein, saying that it's actually just providing the sheep's clothing to the wolves so that then they can basically do as they please and not have any form of definable standard of care. You know, people are upset about different pieces of this, and I'm upset about most of it because you guys have listened to the show enough to know that. But I think what really troubles me the most was the lack of the willingness of the SEC to create definitions. When they create a best interest standard and then say, well, we're not going to actually define what best interest means. I like things quantified. I like to know where the parameters are. The way they've done it, it's really going to be hard to enforce anything because you have a term that doesn't have a definition. And this happens all the way through Reg BI. There's many terms, and they'll say, well, we were asked in the comment period to provide a definition to whatever the term was, but we've decided not to do it. So, you know, it really is beware on the part of the consumer. The CFP Board of Standards is really dismayed at the rule, but it's reminding consumers that their um, certificates, so people who hold the certified financial plan or mark, are required to be fiduciaries, and it doesn't look like CFP Board is going to lower that standard. I really hope that they don't. And so, you know, one of the ways that you can at least get a person who is, has agreed to act as your fiduciary is to work with a certified financial planner practitioner. The issue, honestly, with that is that the CFP board is not a regulatory agency. It's simply a certifying body. And they can stop an advisor from using the term certified financial planner practitioner, but they don't have the ability to, say, put that person out of business if they're not behaving properly. So it's a good step. It isn't nearly far enough. We're going to have to be really careful that we don't let this get out of hand. There's a second thing, and I really don't think this is legislation, but this is as good of a place to talk about it as anywhere. I read an article in the New York Times talking about how risky borrowing is coming back. 
And so remember back in 2008, there were all of these exotic ways of getting a loan. Well, it has been, and this is just such a shock to me, it's 11 years since 2008. And some of these um, riskier lending practices are starting to come back. Why should you care if you're the consumer? Why should you not look at some of the non-traditional sources? The biggest problem with borrowing money from a non-traditional source, i.e. not a bank, is that we don't know the financial condition of the source where you're borrowing the money from. So let me back up a step. I'm a little ahead of myself. You know, the banks got strongly regulated after 2008, and that's all still in place. But these private companies have sprung up that are making loans, and they're not subject to the regulations because they're not banks. And because they're not banks, they don't have the security of banks, but they are marketing the heck out of mortgages, and they are loaning money to small businesses the investors in these companies like it because, you know, often the interest rate's a little bit higher, especially in some of the small business loan space. And so they're getting a good return on investment. What those investors in the companies making the loans aren't remembering is you get yield because you take risk. That's just how the stock market and the bond market work. So when they're loaning money to people at higher interest rates, that suggests those people can't walk into a bank and get a loan. And so there is the potential here. You know, I've said that I didn't really see any crisis on the horizon. I don't know that I think this is a crisis yet. It is the first thing that I've seen that's really kind of exposing things there's um, still collateralized loan obligations being issued. Remember back in 2008, one of the problems that happened is they took mortgages and they turned them into securities and they chopped them up and they sold them to investors, but the mortgages were bad. Okay, they were called collateralized mortgage obligations. They were bad investments for a lot of reasons. The rating agencies weren't accurate. The mortgages weren't the quality people thought they were. And so we kind of we kind of securitized it and sold it to the world. That's part of the problem. Well, now they're taking these loans that are riskier and they're creating collateralized loan obligations. It's not a new concept. It even predated the 2008, but it is securitizing the debt. It's the debt that's being taken on by people who can't go to the bank and get a loan, and it's selling it as a security. What could go wrong? Anyhow, keep up with this. I'm going to keep up with this. And if I see anything else interesting on the horizon, I will let you know. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity section of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. And in this segment, I want to talk to you about how to save money. If you listened last week, you know we were talking about an emergency fund and not getting so wound up about six months worth and starting with two weeks and going from there. But it can be hard to even start saving money, even if all you're trying to save is two weeks' worth of your bills. I think a lot of times great is the enemy of good when it comes to trying to save money. 
we think, you know, we look at how much money we make and we look at the bills that we have and it seems like there should be a lot of slippage, right? It's like, I should be able to save $50 a month or $100 a month or $200. Kind of depends on your financial circumstances. But many times it's like, okay, well, I'll just save $200 a month and I'll knock that emergency fund out and I'll get my two weeks and we'll go from there. And then you actually don't save $200 a month because your bills are a little tighter than you thought they would be. What happens? Well, for many people, you just get discouraged and you quit. So it's like, well, I can't do this. I failed at this. It's kind of like the whole New Year's resolution crisis. I'm never going to eat donuts again, you know, and then you eat that first donut on January 3rd and the whole thing's shot for the next 362 days. I don't want you to do that. I want you to look for places to save smaller amounts of money. I want you to look at how much money you spend eating out. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you can't ever eat out again because I know you will, and I know that that advice is bad advice, and so I'm not going to give it to you. But I am going to suggest that if you generally eat lunch out every day, maybe you could take your lunch a couple of times a week. If you stop by the store and you pick up a cappuccino at your favorite coffee place, or you stop even by a convenience store and you're picking up like a drink every time you go in and get gas, I know it doesn't seem like a lot of money, but it adds up. And so when you get home, rather than taking that $5 that you would have spent on the coffee or, you know, any more, even fast food has gotten remarkably expensive. So, you know, a fast food lunch can cost $7 or $8 really easily. I want you to take that $8 and I want you to put it literally in a jar, okay? You probably are not wanting to run to the bank with $8. I get that. So what does that mean? First of all, it means I want you to consider using some of your discretionary money as cash. I want you to figure out how much money that you normally spend, and I want you to pull it out in cash. Don't put it on the card. If you pull it out in cash, number one is you're limited to the cash you have. That will stop you from racking up credit card debt. But then when you don't spend it, you can take it and you can set it aside and put it in a jar, in a box. And then once it adds up, take that money and take it to the bank. I know I sound super old. I know you're saying, but Peggy, I do everything online, but Peggy, I want to use my card. I get it. I do get it. But I'm trying to help make you really conscious of what you're spending. You know, they found when they added credit cards to fast food restaurants that the average bill went up 25% because it's not exactly real money. It's the same reason that we don't get coins anymore from the slot machines if you happen to go to a casino. Not that I've ever done that, but I hear that they don't give you coins anymore. They give you little pieces of paper, little vouchers that you put back in the machine. And you do put them back in the machine because it's not real money. If you actually have cash looking at you, there is a realness to it that I just absolutely don't think you get when you do any form of electronic transaction. So I want you to look for places 
to save little amounts of money over and over and over and over again. I want you to clip coupons. I want you to take your lunch. And I know, I get it. You know, let's say you're trying to save $20,000 for something, and it almost seems stupid that I'm asking you to save $2 towards it. I understand that. If you'll start, it will change how you think about the money. You will start becoming a saver, not a spender. And for the record, I do this myself. I bring my lunch to work probably at least three days a week, and I try really hard to use cash rather than cards because even for me, cash is real. Cards are a little easy. You just kind of put it there, and you can have that piece of pie if you want it because it didn't really cost anything. Okay, don't do that. I want you to be really careful. I want you to be really diligent, and I want you to save lots of money a little bit at a time, and then at the end of the month, I want you to look at your savings. You're going to be impressed with how well you did. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and remember, if you have a question that you would like to ask me, go to askpeggy.com, A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and there will be a box on that homepage where you can submit a question to me, then I'll contact you, maybe get some more details to make sure that everything makes a lot of sense, you know, rather than possibly giving you bad advice because I don't know all of the details. And then I'll provide some education for everyone around your topic once we get back on the show again. So again, that's askpeggy.com. Great opportunity for you to participate in the show. This week's question I had three or four times last week from people. And it says, Peggy, what does it mean when the Fed raises or lowers interest rates? Well, it's a great question. It's very, very timely because right now we're in such a strange interest rate environment. Remember that last June, um, there was a letter, uh, you know, a report issued where the anticipation was that we would have several rate increases last year, a couple, then we'd have more this year in 2019. And then finally, there was an anticipation of one more rate increase the beginning of 2020. And then the Fed chair thought that we'd be pretty much done with it. Because remember, we've been in a low interest rate environment for about a decade. One of the things that they did back in the Great Recession in 2008 was lower interest rates. And we haven't raised rates from the period of time that we were trying to keep the economy from falling off the cliff in 2008 and 2009. Then once we got going again, the Fed kept a very easy monetary policy, also called a dovish policy. If you ever hear that someone is an interest rate dove, that means that they let the rates stay low. If someone's an interest rate hawk, they're more likely to raise them. We've been in this dovish economy where the rates have stayed low probably longer than they should have. 
because when the Fed takes an action, it takes a while for it to percolate all the way through the economy and do all of the things it's supposed to do. You get an immediate stock market reaction, but the actual impact from the interest rate movement can take 12 to 18 months. So we've been in this incredibly low environment, and then last year we had um, a couple of Fed, um, Fed rate increases. Now, what that is when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates. The interest rate that they are impacting is the overnight rate that banks charge each other to borrow money back and forth for a one-day period. There's a lot of money that moves within the banking industry. And so if bank one wants, not, not the company, just the first bank, wants to borrow money, and they borrow it from bank two or the second bank, they pay them an interest rate for borrowing that money overnight. It's a way of getting everything to settle out well. Of course, it's an incredibly low rate because it's a one-night rate. Well, that's actually the rate that the Fed changes when they raise rates. So it's the overnight banking rate. So it's really important to know that that's what happens. So then when the banks have to pay more and they want to make a loan, then they charge more interest because, um, because they've had to pay more to borrow the money themselves. So the rate they charge you goes up. The market takes over to a certain extent because if loans are being paid and they pay, you know, they cost 3% here, then even another agency that isn't a bank is going to say, well, shoot, they're getting 3%. I'm going to get 3% as well. And then that blooms further and further out until all segments of the economy are at a higher rate. So if you have money in the bank, then you know that you're getting a higher interest rate on your savings account, say. Or if you have money in a money market account at a brokerage firm, then that money market rate goes up. So anytime you're the lender, when interest rates go up, it's great. Anytime you're the borrower, when interest rates go up, it's bad. So We've been in this very dovish environment. There was the expectation that rates were going to go up. And then the White House just really had a fit last fall. And, you know, they, it looked very much like they were going to um, fire the Fed chairman, kind of became a thing. And so it's like, okay, never mind, we'll leave rates alone. Well, that wasn't good enough for the corporate environment, for Wall Street, for the political environment. They want rates cut. And just sort of randomly, they want rates cut because they want rates cut. Now, if we have such a great economy, then we shouldn't be cutting rates. Okay, so you really can't have that one both ways. But the problem is people don't understand this. So they don't understand that in the same paragraph, someone can say the economy is the best economy we've ever had. It's a super economy. There's never been an economy like this one. And oh, by the way, the Fed's going to lower rates because those two statements are antithetical. They're opposite to each other. The Fed lowers rates when there is an economic problem. So in a rising interest rate environment, it costs more to borrow. In a falling interest rate environment, it costs less to borrow. 
What's really random about the last 12 months is we've been in all three environments. The stock market, the entire economy re responds quite differently in a rising interest rate environment, in a steady interest rate environment, and in a falling interest rate environment. And one of the things that's very unsettling right now to me and to other people who are trying to figure out, you know, really where are we economically, where are we in, in lines of what we can project for market returns for the year, it has everything to do with the interest rate environment. And right now, we just don't know. My suspicion is on Wednesday, as I said earlier in the show, we're going to leave the rates alone. I'm not expecting them to lower rates this week. We'll have to wait and see. There'll be a lot of fallout, and we'll just see at that point what happens next. Well, I can't believe how fast the show has gone yet again. I really appreciate that you're listening. And again, you can catch the podcast if you miss the Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>